Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, January 8th, 2023, we begin our new series titled Jonah, When God Says Go. Today's sermon, called to go, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Jonah chapter 1. Enjoy. Jonah. I mean, why, why Jonah? Right, Pastor Thomas last week gave this great message about just the vision of following Jesus. And so here we are, we're in Jonah, which makes no mention of Jesus directly. Um, and uh, it's the Old Testament. And so, but we thought that going through a four-week series on Jonah would really help us as we, as we get into the, the Gospel of Luke. But in particular, Jonah has a message of following God. And uh, in his particular case, he's doing everything he can to not do that. And so it becomes a great metaphor for us to understand what it's talking about. I say in my own life, um, you know, Jonah is, is Jeff and Jeff is Jonah. Um, I have plenty of times. I, I like to think of there being major Nineveh moments and minor Nineveh moments, right? Major is God's telling you you have to go and share the gospel uh, in a foreign land. Um, minor Nineveh is I have to share the gospel with the guy who lives across the street. And so, but in either one of those fashions, the tendency, my default is to go the other way. Um, my human nature, my sin nature wants to rebel against the go in scripture. Um, and mainly because I enjoy my comfort um, I don't know if you're like me, but, um, but I, I love to c- pursue comfort. At times, I love to pursue pleasure. Um, but oftentimes, God's telling me that I need to go someplace, and I withdraw and go for those moments. You know, my journey, um, my wife, uh, for 25 some odd years, had been telling me over and over and over again, Jeff, I don't think you're supposed to be in corporate America. I don't think you're supposed to be running corporations. I don't think you're supposed to be heading up mergers and acquisitions. I don't think you're supposed to be doing these things. I think that God is calling you to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for 25 years, I sought comfort, the pursuit of maybe money over those things. I remember having these conversations with my wife saying, you know what those pastors make? You know, they, they make in a year what we make in a month. You know, maybe when we get to the place of retirement, maybe then we can go. God had a different plan. You see, for me, my Nineveh is where I'm standing talking to you right now. I never wanted to go and preach the gospel from a pulpit. The idea of speaking in front of mass quantities of people is incredibly intimidating. To stand here every time that I get here, my stomach, my everything is churning because I know that I have to come up here and share things that people want to hear, but I also have to share things that people don't want to hear. I'd love to run the other direction. I'd love to find comfort. For me, the perfect world would be me and Jill on a mountaintop with no other human beings. (laughs) That would be great. But this narrative of Jonah is not necessarily even about Jonah's Nineveh. This narrative of Jonah going to Nineveh the hard way is about how are you going to your Nineveh? Because God has got a call upon you. It's important for us to understand that, that God is calling you. 
God is coming to us with this book of Jonah in our idea of following Jesus. He has a faith in the Messiah that is to come. We have a faith in the Messiah who came. Not too long after the ministries of Elijah and Elisha, there came this prophet on the scene whose name is Jonah. He came into the scene of the northern kingdom of Israel and the rule of Jeroboam II. You can find that in 2 Kings 14.25 if you're of interest in those historical things. But his name, of course, is Jonah. He's the son of Amittai, and he is from uh, Geth Hefer, right, which is about five miles as the crow flies to Nazareth. Thematically, we're gonna see throughout Jonah is that it starts with, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And he tells him to go, to arise and go. This is no different than Jesus Christ who came to us and commanded each and every one of us to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But Jonah himself doesn't want to go like many of us. We think about, no, 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 I go, I go to church. That's not quite the go we're talking about here. Whatever the reason, Jonah himself finds himself in battle or in war with God. And in particular, the command or the charge to go to Nineveh. So he's going to do what most of us default to. He's going to go the opposite direction. He's going to go to Tarshish, which is on the other side of the Mediterranean from where he currently is. He's going to set sail out of Joppa. Joppa at that time would be modern-day Tel Aviv. And so he's going to head out of Tel Aviv rather than heading northeast to Nineveh, which today we would call Mosul, Iraq. A lot of things happened in Iraq in the Bible. He could either go roughly 725 miles, kind of like the Southern California to the tip of Northern California, or he could go 3,000 miles away to the Gibraltar Strait. He chooses the 3,000 miles. Our Christian life itself, I think, is often identified by two great marks within us. These marks are the inward awareness of our ongoing warfare with holy God. We know what God has called us to do. We know what God has called us to believe. But yet there are time and time again that I, and I'm sure some of you, go the other way rather than exactly where we're supposed to be. Christianity has always been about the Christian that rushes in, not the Christian who runs away. If there's plagues, we go. If there's famine, we go. If there's injustice, we go. We're becoming soft as a people because we are more and more going the other way rather than the way we've been directed. The second identity is that we ultimately understand our outward need and dependence upon the God of mercy. But it's not clearly how we're identifying ourselves these days. This idea of the inward warfare as well as my need for God's mercy. We seem to be wanting to pick up the, the, the banter of I'm going to run and hide and therefore I will be safe and receive God's mercy. God brings storms into our life for a reason. 
J.C. Ryle, a 19th century Anglican bishop, I'm paraphrasing him here, but he said this. He says, there are thousands of men and women who go to churches and chapels every Sunday, and they call themselves faithful. Their names are in the baptismal registry. They're reckoned as followers of Christ while they live. They're even married in Christian ceremony. They're presented as faithful even when they die in their celebrations of life. But the problem is, is that you never see any fight about their faith or of their spiritual strife and exertion and conflict and self-denial. They're watching, they're warring, they reveal literally nothing of faith in Christ at all. Whether you're young or old, the question that is before us within Jonah is are we faithful to go? I think that for the most part, we don't exhibit the fight of faith. I think that oftentimes such marginal or mediocre faith, it may bring a temporary comfort to us. I feel safe here. I don't have to go anywhere dangerous. It brings me uh, sometimes to say something, and I'm sure that it will feel like I'm speaking out against our comfort in a very harsh way maybe even uncharitable, or some may think that I'm being judgmental. But our comfort is certainly not the faith that's been presented to us in the Bible. It is not the faith which Abraham exhibited. It's not the faith that Jesus founded, and it's not the faith that the apostles preached. True faith is a fight, especially when it comes to the go and go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Man, I hope that God works in our hearts today. I know he's working in mine, but let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, we love you, we worship you, we adore you. But Lord, help us in our struggle from time to time to go, to go to minor Ninevehs or major Ninevehs. But Lord, help us, encourage us through the power of your Holy Spirit to be faithful to go. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. I wanna give a reminder of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that the first shall be last. It tells us that unless you turn and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It says he who would be great must be the servant of all, not some. If you love Jesus, neither their race or their wickedness can determine how you're going to treat them. Many of us are in a daily battle with God's calling in our own life. Maybe it's just as simple as the person across the street, the person next to you on an airplane, a colleague. Maybe it's a family member who you should have all the comfort in the world to talk to, but you would rather negate that opportunity. I know I'm guilty of these things. But the issue is is that if we love Jesus, we will faithfully bless people with the goodness of God And it's not just people in our immediate, it's everywhere. You see, that's what Jesus meant when he said, bless those who curse you. You can't bless somebody if you desire their harm. I find myself at times thinking about certain people groups in the world and I say, Lord, if they're not gonna follow you, would you just smite them off your earth? But if we're a follower of Jesus, We must desire the good of everyone. No matter what their race or their threat to you 
or even the condition of their heart. But here we find Jonah thinking that he can flee the presence of God. And we think to ourselves, man, what a knucklehead. You can't flee the presence of God, but yet we do it ourselves every day, all day long. Point one here is fleeing the presence of God. We're gonna see it in one through three, Jonah one. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. He went down into the boat to go with the sailors to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Oh, this misguided thought. Can we really flee the presence of God? No. But it doesn't stop us from making an effort, does it? When we look at chapter one, we're gonna talk about Jonah's attempt here to flee. We're gonna start actually in verse four because Jonah's gonna flee to Tarshish, but God's coming after him. It's important for us to understand that when God commands or calls us to go do something, you're gonna go do it. Look at verse four. It says, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. This is not a natural storm. This isn't just misfortune that we hit a rainy day. This is a supernatural storm. It's a violent storm that God himself has created. God is in control because God is present. You so before we even look at the storm, let's go back again and understand what the charge is to Jonah. In verses one and two, it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Who's the word? Christ came before Jonah. The word that will later become flesh and dwell among us. The very word of God spoke to Jonah and told him, here's where you're going. It's clear that the prophet is commissioned to go and cry out against the city of Nineveh. That mandate to a prophet is clear. It's unmistakable. Preach a message of judgment. Preach a message of warning. Tell them that God is going to judge them. Let me set a word picture here for you. So imagine if you are a young man or woman and you're of Jewish descent. You're clearly identifiable through your ethnic heritage as someone who's Jewish. And you've just been commanded in the early 1940s to go to Berlin, that great city, Nazi-controlled Germany, and your job is to go and tell them how wicked they are. And I want you to touch the entire land with three specific stops where you're gonna call all of them to repent, to believe, and to put their faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Or in that particular case, in God. But God is Jesus, we all know that. And Jesus is God. But his response is not probably different than what my response might be. Um, That's gonna be dangerous. But look what he does. Verse three, Jonah rose up to his flee. It's almost like, it's like, oh, that's a great idea. You know what, Lord? I am, I am on that. 
Then immediately goes to Joppa, buys a ticket, and gets on a, a boat to go the other way. Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now that was his response. That's his reaction to holy God telling him what to do. To get out, to run the other direction, to flee, to get as far away as he can possibly go. He doesn't want anything with going to Nineveh. He doesn't want to preach to the Ninevites, so he runs absolutely the opposite direction. He has no interest in obeying God's call upon his life. But I would hasten to say that this is no different than me for 25 plus years, thinking if I just made enough money, if I got to the place of comfort, then, then I'll go. But why is he going the other way? You see, our life as a follower of Christ is often going to encounter internal battles. But it's clear for us to understand that those battles, those wars that we enter into, even in our rebellion, will always, always, always lead to the path of the mercy of God. That's not an encouragement for you to run. Jonah is fleeing He's not disbelieving. See, point two here is that God's path always leads to God's mercy. You can go the long way or you can go the short way, but you're going. Jonah is fleeing. He's not disbelieving. In fact, the opposite is true. Jonah is in 100% belief of who God is and what God's going to do. He just simply doesn't want to do it. He thinks he can remove himself from the presence of God. This is kind of a delusionary thought, but I would be wrong in saying that I've not ever had it. I think it probably manifests itself in life when we think that uh, as long as none of you know, I can go ahead and do it. There'll be no judgment. I remember many years ago when one of my daughters was very young, she came to me and says, Dad, you know how you were, you were teaching us that, that God sees everything? I think you said that he, he, he knows what I'm going to say before it comes off my tongue. He knows when I sit down, when I stand up. He even knows how many hairs are on your head, although that's not that much. But the, you, start to, you start to realize, right, that your child is asking you this, this profound question. If God sees me everywhere, and then she follows it up, but yeah but does he see the stuff that I do in my room? Oh, you betcha. <laughs> you bet he does. Many of our kids, even us when we were kids, thought that as long as mom and dad don't find out, then it doesn't exist. You see, my friends, sometimes we think that we're good Christians and all I have to do is hide from my other Christian friends. That's fleeing. You see, Jonah is heading away, but God is the one who's pursuing with a storm. Man, we've got a lot of storms in our lives, don't we? The boat may have been tossing, turning, splintering, but where's Jonah? He's sound asleep, sleeping like a baby. So the captain of that boat comes to and approaches him and says, how is it that you're sleeping? We're all about to die. You see, Jonah has belief. He knows exactly who God is. So he says to him, get up, call upon your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. 
Each of the men, the sailors, said to his mate, look, come, let's, let's cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this is happening and who's responsible. Casting lots would be uh, similar to that of we're gonna draw straws. Whoever ends up with the short one, you're the problem. So they're gonna do that, and of course it's gonna fall upon Jonah. In verse eight, they're gonna say, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? They're trying to get to the bottom of it. They're trying to get into it and understand what's happening with all these frightening issues. We're all about to die because of you, man. So here's the point. Jonah had been told to go to Nineveh, go to this great city to cry out against the city because of its wickedness. What, what are prophets? What's their job? If you're a prophet, what's your job? They preach. They warn, they pronounce judgment, they call people to repentance. That's what prophets do. But instead of heading towards the capital city of Nineveh, this prophet gets on a ship going to the westernmost part of the Mediterranean. Jonah, as you'll see next week in the belly of a fish, of a great fish, is gonna pray. He's gonna pray psalms. Pastor Joe will bring this to us next week, but we understand that one of these psalms is Psalm 139. This is, this is where Jonah's brain is gonna be heading here shortly when he gets tossed into the water. It says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. There's nowhere to run from the power and the beauty of this God. Jonah just simply doesn't want to go to the Assyrian capital. Every Ninevite, every Assyrian was, as far as Jonah was concerned, was in fact a pagan enemy and represented everything evil and everything that Israel stood against. The Assyrians themselves were a brutal people. They were vicious. They massacred their enemies. They mutilated their captives. They are known to dismember and decapitate, to burn people alive. And they posed and had posed for a very long time a clear and a present danger to the nation of Israel. Jonah himself ministered in the northern kingdom. He was intimately aware of who the Ninevites were. He wanted God to destroy them. He wanted God to not be merciful. But God's mercy is about to be revealed in this storm. You see, our wars, our storms, point three is our wars reveal his mercy. Our storms of life reveal his mercy. We sometimes get ahead of ourselves saying, oh, you know, it's like we're crying, oh, why God, why me, right? And we're sitting there having this gigantic pity party and you should be asked the question, why hasn't God just smudged you off his earth? The call of Christ is that we first receive mercy and kindness in abundance. He lavishes it upon us. Jesus Christ came to give abundantly. 
John 10.10 tells us that. To have our cup filled, to keep our heart open to God in the midst of struggle, to consider a pure joy in various trials, to bring us the needs of our life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How much of my life is want? That want is a Nineveh of what I need. Jonah would rather die in this moment trusting God for his mercy rather than trust God's plan of mercy. We know from our perspective right today that 100 years from this moment, God's going to destroy the Ninevites. But for this generation, alive in Jonah's day, he has plans of salvation for them. This is a beautiful, this is a wonderful insight into the sovereign purposes of God. And Jonah was commissioned to deliver the message. But that rebellious prophet didn't want to see Israel's enemies receive mercy. What kind of person who knows that all of humanity is created in the image of God doesn't want that person to have the very mercy they've already received? And you're thinking to yourself, Jonah, We need to all look in the mirror. In fact, he knew that the Lord would forgive the Ninevites if they believed. We'll see this when Pastor Kevin gets to it, right? In Jonah 4, verses 1 and 2, listen to, listen to what Jonah's saying here. He's talking to Almighty God, and it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. I'm sorry that you're having to do what my plan is, and I'm sorry that you're angry. And it says in verse two, and he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? You mean when I was sitting in my living room, my lazy boy chair, and all the comfort, and I told you if, you go, if I go here, you're gonna save them. And they're evil. <coughs> that is why. He says, I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that, I, that you are a gracious God and a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah simply wanted his comfort and safety. Oh man, that is my life. I want comfort and safety. But God himself is in the business of using sometimes the most unlikely people for his purposes. I never wanted this role. I wanted comfort. If I could achieve a certain net worth, then maybe, you know, but I'll tell everybody, yeah, I'm going to go when I hit there. I'm just never going to hit there, right? But I'm going to find myself comfort. Jonah knew that God was compassionate. He knew that God was full of loving kindness. He knew that God was merciful. He simply didn't want God to act mercifully towards the Ninevites. You'd think that God at this point would just ditch him. You're done. You're fired. Your career is over. As a prophet, you ain't so good. But here again is this wonderful reality. Wonderful reality that God is in the business of using the most unlikely and sometimes even the most unqualified people. Because God has put the Holy Spirit in each of you to go. 
God selected even certain prophets that had a simple missionary task, which was to take the news, the word of God, and spread it throughout the world. And their responsibility was to proclaim the true God beyond the borders of Israel. I'm not here to bash on Israel or the Jews that failed to do their job because we, in fact, fail to do our job every single day. In fact, if you look back uh, from Isaiah, where the prophets began in the Old Testament, all the way through Malachi, right? Go through the five major prophets and the 12 minor prophets, and note to yourself, that's not a rank. It's not a major prophet and a minor prophet. These are prophets. Some had major roles throughout scripture, some had minor roles throughout scripture. These are men of God that God assigned to deliver his message. But if you go through those prophets, you're gonna find that they not only prophesied in the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel, they also prophesied and spoke at, they should on, right? They're shooting on the rest of the nation rather than going to those other nations. They gave prophecies concerning Ammon, Assyria, Babylon, Edom, Egypt, Elam, Hazar, Kedar, Medo-Persian, Moab, Philistia, Phoenicia, Syria, and Tyre. All nations. They ministered primarily, though, within the borders of Judah and Israel. Judah, of course, being the southern kingdom of Israel and the northern kingdom of Israel. But they ministered inside their borders, inside their comfort zone. But they gave prophecies and declarations that directed at the nations surrounding them. And they stand there and say, hey, hey, no, 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 no. I'm doing my job. I shared the word with those people from a safe distance because they're not safe. You see, Jonah's calling was incredibly unique in its time. He was sent out of his comfort zone to go to Nineveh, which was unusual for a prophet to leave Judah or to leave Israel. To go out and prophesy against a nation. Historically, we see in the New Testament that Israel not only failed to be a missionary nation, but Israel rejected its own prophets that God had given them. We see throughout Matthew in different places, we see where Jesus says, you killed the prophets. He's talking to the Pharisees. You stoned the prophets. You failed in your missionary task. And the God-appointed men who were to call you to that missionary task of all nations, go therefore and make all nations, you hated them and you killed them. Remember in Matthew 12, 39, 40, right? It says this, I'm gonna paraphrase it greatly, but, but Nineveh is to be is used as an admonishment against the Pharisees. Pharisees who refused to repent at the preaching of the greatest of all prophets, Jesus himself. They're telling nations and multiple nations, there's coming a Messiah, there's coming a person who's going to save us and set us free. And they're doing this while Jesus is standing there. They're looking at him. They're questioning him. They're hating him. Because Jesus would go where no others would go. With all the evidence that Jesus was Messiah, so what does Jesus tell us in Matthew 12? Greatly paraphrased here, so don't go home and say, I don't read that in scripture. It says in Matthew 12, if the heathens would believe in Nineveh, 
over the preaching of a reluctant, comfort-seeking, bad-attitude prophet, Ninevites are going to be better off in eternity than the Pharisees who won't repent when they're standing face-to-face with Jesus. So where do we get back to mercy? (coughs) We go back to verse 11. The sailors. The sailors who are about to receive mercy. They said to him, they said to Jonah, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. You see, they know that this man was disobeying his God. And they know that they have one option, this pagan sort of superstitious idea. Let's see if we do something to him, if this will pacify God. But Jonah says to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me, the great storm has come upon you. He's right. He gets it. He knows that this is the direct work of God, that this storm is because of him, and, and that he knows that the sailors are reluctant to do that, to throw him into the water. Because they have a certain amount of human decency, they don't really want to do that. <coughs> but look at it in verse 13. You can see that they're trying every option in verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. They're, they're going against the current. The storm is driving them out, even though the sea grew more and more tempestuous, right? Now they've come to understand who Jonah's God is. This is an all-powerful God. And they're praying to the Lord. They're saying, look, hey, you know, we don't want to toss this guy in the water because that's going to put blood on our hands. And then we're going to be guilty and we're going to be in trouble. We don't want to put him into the water. Here's a real simple question. Why doesn't Jonah just go and jump in? Just go jump into the sea. Because Jonah knows who God is. He knows exactly who God is. He knows that if he goes and jumps into the sea, that's suicide. And that it's sinful according to Exodus 20, 13. Thou shalt not kill even yourself. Jonah believed that if he went from the ship into the sea that he would die and that the storm would cease. He clearly gets it. However, if he jumped himself, that would be sinful since it would be suicide. Instead, he's taking, again, the comfort path. Hey, why don't you guys just pick me up, toss me in? Then I haven't done anything. So what do they do in verse 15? So they picked him up. And they hurled Jonah into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And just like that, God's mercy was revealed. Revealed for the, for the sailors. Yeah, they experienced, right? They experienced this, this ceasing of God, but they experienced this little tiny revival on the boat. It says, the men feared the Lord greatly. Man, if this God can create this storm, shut this storm down on a dime just because we chucked that guy into the water, that's incredible, right? The men feared the Lord greatly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And just like that, mercy. I don't know the full extent of that moment. But I think when Jonah explained to them who God is, they listened and they understood. Because God made them understand. 
And then when they saw the demonstration of that miraculous ceasing of the storm, they understood that this was the one true God. We have to understand in ourselves that the true God of the universe shows mercy. It doesn't feel like it all the time, does it? But we know, right, that, that, we, that we love God. We know that we're even called by God. But yet we don't want to accept this, Romans 8, 28, that he works all things to the good for those who love him and are called by him. We think that we have to protect ourselves. We think that we can't walk into the buzzsaws of life. And we call it prudence and stewardship. And we call it all kinds of things. But what we should be calling it is a failure to go. To trust God wholeheartedly. This is not the end of warfare for Jonah in his battle to Nineveh. There's more of that to come. We'll see that in the weeks to come. But let's get back to it. Meanwhile, we find Jonah cast into the sea. So how does God show mercy? Doesn't seem like mercy. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights, like Jesus will be in the tomb for three days and three nights. When we look at the conclusion of this and we start to understand what exactly God is doing, no matter what you're rebelling against the plan of God, his plan of mercy is always going to prevail. A good friend of mine years ago in my own fleeing from these things, Jeff, I don't know what you're worried about. I don't know what you're thinking about. I don't know what the the concern is. Do you not recognize that Paul himself said, for me to live is Christ and to die is simply more Christ. Nothing can separate you from this God. Nothing can take you out of his hands. You are a vehicle that God is using to go And that's your purpose. You know, it would have been easy enough to just simply get rid of Jonah. I mean, why go to all this trouble? Jonah's path to mercy brought the witness of God's mercy to the sailors. And his path to Nineveh is going to bring mercy to the Ninevites. Remember, Just as the Lord came to Jonah and called him to go, Jesus Christ came to you and to me and commanded you and me to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, to get out of your comfort zone. Whether it's a minor trip to Nineveh or a major trip to Nineveh, you must go. We get something so wrong in our society and our culture today We think that current day evangelism is that if I just invite a friend, a family member, or a colleague to church and then they can hear one of the pastors speak. No, Jesus Christ called you. He did not call you to bring them to me. He called you to go to them. The command of scripture is abundantly clear. The call upon our hearts, the call upon our vision to follow Jesus is going to put you into the middle of danger. It's going to put you into a place that you do not want to be. It is not comfortable, but you must go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and set people free from the bondage of their sin. Show them the mercy of God. My thought to this is that when we lose personal repentance is our step one. When I don't say, Lord, forgive me for thinking about going the opposite way, I cheat myself out of a personal revival in Christ. Maybe the storms in your life are about 
your personal revival and you're ignoring them? What's your Nineveh? What's the Nineveh you're avoiding? You may sit in there consumed in fear that if I go and do this, I will surely die. Brothers, nothing can separate you from the love of this God, neither death or anything. Spend and be spent. Be used for the advancement of the kingdom. Go to your Nineveh because Jesus Christ paid it all. He paid for everything. I want you to know something for sure as you walk away here today. God's command on you to go, no matter what you do, whether you take the short way or the long way, you're going to Nineveh because God has set it upon you. And in your trip, in your journey, you are a vehicle to reveal the mercy of God. Not by your clever quotes or your ability to memorize God's word, but by your faithfulness to simply go. Oh Lord, help us. Help us to glorify you. Help us to put our faith in you. Help us to know that you, Lord, have paid for this journey and that nothing in your payment will come up null and void. Nothing will keep us from a relationship with you. Nothing, Lord, will lead us away, but help us, Lord, to grow in this grace. Help us to go. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Brothers and sisters, Jesus paid it all. Now go. Go and make disciples of all nations, no longer fearing that the person I'm talking to is gonna hate me or reject me because they hated him long before they hated you. It is all about Christ. It is all about sacrifice of my desires to glorify him in his. That's our calling. That's what we're called to. Now the prayer warriors are gonna be down here today. Maybe you're a person who's sitting here and man, you just don't have a relationship with Christ like this and you want a relationship. Come down and pray with us. Come seek one of the pastors. Come talk to us. Let us lead you and minister you to the hope that we have in this God who can calm the seas in your life, the storms. Or maybe you're a person who's sitting in your heart's pounding out of your chest and you're saying, man, I know what God's calling me. He's been calling me to go do this forever and I'm just not wanting to do it. Come be held accountable and let me encourage you to go. Just as for many years, the place that I didn't want to be is the place where I'm standing today and I wouldn't change it for anything because it is here and it's for the purpose and the glory of Jesus Christ. Use me however you want. Spend and be spent all to the glory of him. It doesn't matter what I want. It's about him fulfilling what he needs in us. To him be the glory. Now go and minister to one another before you go into this week and minister in the Nineveh God's calling you to. Amen? To God be the glory. We'll see you next week.